0: Glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Everyone in uh, the great state of Alabama, hope you had a great day today. Hey, we've got a little winter coming in. Uh, on us the last few days, I think it's going to warm up though nicely for us here over the next few days. Uh, though, hey, just by way of reminder, you see the ticker on there. Uh, it'll it'll probably be gone like next time we uh, get together because the revival will have started and uh, we will we have we have completed that event. So, mark your calendars, November fifth through the eighth, which is this Sunday, starting at seven p.m. This Sunday through Wednesday, 7 p.m. each night, we're going to have a revival over at Friendship Baptist Church. So hope that if you're in our area, uh, that you would make plans to travel there and uh, come and join us. Uh, I'll be preaching on uh, Sunday night. And then we have uh, Jay Penton, a good friend of mine from Prattville, who serves as the men's minister at Prattmont Baptist Church. Uh, in Prattville. He'll be preaching on t- uh, Monday and Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I have my good friend uh, from Dothan, Alabama, uh, Donald Irwin, who will be coming up to join us on Wednesday night to finish out our revival. So I hope you'll make plans to be there. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring people who are lost, who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been praying uh, for quite some time now. Uh, for revival we started off with 12 weeks of prayer and then uh, we're going to be wrapping up here in just a couple days three days uh, 40 days of prayer and we had a special prayer uh, meeting last night for revival so we're just trusting the Lord to do what the Lord can do uh, we can't manufacture revival but we're going to show up and we're going to trust God to do what God's going to do in our lives and in the lives of those that He see fit to bring uh, to this event so just uh, get the word out Come join us. Uh, let's celebrate the Lord together and see the Lord change some lives. So as always, we're going to be putting this on um, YouTube. Uh, I've kind of abandoned Rumble for a bit. Um, I guess I need to try to get back over there and, and upload some videos. Uh, it's a little more effort to do that. It's a lot easier to do what we're doing uh, here, just live stream simultaneously. But on Rumble, unfortunately, you got to have at least 100 followers. Uh, before you can live stream. So anyway, if you want to go follow me on Rumble, if we can get up to 100, then we'll, we'll we'll see if we can live stream there as well. But until then, this is what we're going to do. And we just thank you for joining in. It'll be on our podcast as well, RK Ministries podcast. You can go find that wherever podcasts are found, where whatever your favorite podcast uh, platform is. You can also go to Spotify, uh, Anchor, I think it's now it's called Spotify for podcasters or something like that. But uh, you can go to Spotify and find it there. It's it's driven by one of their apps, which is really, really easy to use. If you want to podcast or do anything like that, uh, uh, I'd suggest it to you uh podcast spots podcast for spot spotify for podcasters or something like that it used to be anchor but uh, it's really easy simple straightforward easy to upload and manipulate uh platforms so i like it. it works for me right now so anyway I encourage you to go to YouTube go to uh excuse me uh, to the podcast like them subscribe to them uh leave comments share it with other people all those things kind of help out the algorithm and get more uh, viewing audience more listening audience for us and, and so the only way that happens is if you'll share it with people that are not listening right now maybe there are people that you say hey you, you I think you would enjoy this content or maybe there are people you say need to hear this content and you would just be uh, a friend and share it uh, with them however they get it uh, the, may the Lord use it to to strengthen their faith or bring them to faith in Christ so uh, we're going to continue with our uh walk through Dr. Vodi Baucom's uh book called Family Driven Faith. And I encourage you if you haven't gotten it to to get it. You can get it on Kindle, I believe. I know you can get it on the, the Scrib uh app. There's um, an audio version there. Uh and obviously you can you could buy a hard copy as well. Anyway you can get it, get it, read it, uh, you so you can follow along with us intelligently and uh, he's got some other books very good books i'd encourage you just about anything he's written you ought to go get it and read it uh he's one of my favorite preachers probably my favorite preaching preacher of this century anyway uh second only to dr steve lawson uh and then uh, from there i generally go old school uh people martin lord jones um a couple others I can't remember at this minute, but, but anyway, because uh, uh, I'm getting old like those old school people. But anyway, uh, let's let's get into our uh, into our study. We'll share the screen here whether you. you can see the PowerPoint. Let me get over here where I can see it. Family Driven Faith is the name of the book. There's seven fundamentals that we're working our way through that kind of drive the narrative of this book. And it's really breaking down Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, the Shema in Deuteronomy. And in that, uh, in the beginning of that Shema, we hear the the language of monotheism here. O Israel, the Lord, the Lord, your God is one God. Um, then there's this uh, command that we saw, uh, which that led us to the first point on here. Um, you know, serve a God with no rivals. In other words, there's one true and living God. He's made himself known in three persons, right? One being of God, three persons of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Uh, Jesus Christ is the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, uh, revelation of God to humanity as he stepped out of heaven and stepped into humanity. And so we serve a God with no rivals. It it costs us everything to come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? and so you can go hear those on the podcast or follow find this video and and, and go back and review those and then we learned about learning to love biblically, it goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And we talked about this idea of biblical love as opposed to the current cultural concept that we generally work under in our Western culture, uh, uh, Roman uh, Greek influence of the uh, emotive aspect of love. While love does uh, garner up Emotions, you remember the definition that it, it, emotion, emotion accompanies uh, love. It, it is an act of the will, right, that leads us to service, to action for the object of our uh, love, which in this case would be God, uh, and it is accompanied by our uh, emotions. And so you can go find that uh, from last time and follow through with it. This week, we're going to talk about giving him your heart. And you see how each one of these builds on one another, and we'll look at Deuteronomy six six in just a moment, and then we'll continue to work our way through this, this breaking down of Deuteronomy chapter 6 with the rest of those four that you see on your screen there. But today we need to get into Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 and this idea of what it means to give him our heart. And we have to understand what heart is in a biblical concept, because again, we have this you know, Western Greco-Roman misconception about the idea of heart, just like we do with the idea of love. So Deuteronomy 6, six from the ESV reads, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And I'd make a note about this verse because this verse is leading into Moses by way of God's inspiration, speaking to the, the adults of the nation of Israel. And telling these covenant people that, hey, your responsibility, and we've been driving home that point from the very beginning, your responsibility is to educate your children, to teach your children, um, in their case, everything, how to read, uh, right? Uh, I know reading was... Um, maybe not necessarily as prevalent in that day as it is in our day, but to teach them everything there is to know about life, what we would consider in our, uh, you know, culture and our, in our time in history, reading, and writing, and arithmetic, right? In Southern English, but teach them that plus teach them the things that relate to spirituality and God, who God is, who they are. Uh, and what, how they should respond to who God is in light of who they are and what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. And, and that responsibility has not changed. That's part of the cultural or the the created cultural order that God had established in the very beginning. God's, God's call for moms and dads to disciple their children, if you will, has not gone away. That is still... Uh, that is still the calling on every mom and every dad. And I think by extension it's the calling of everyone who is a member of the family of faith. Uh, as Paul reminds us in the new Testament, the older women are to teach the younger women and the older men are to teach the younger men. And so it becomes a, a family of faith kind of thing, but it's, The center of this discipleship, this ministry begins in the home. And so that's why we're going through this, because at Friendship Baptist Church over in Tallahassee, Alabama, our our model is this uh, family integrated concept, just like the early church. Uh, as everyone gathered gathered together as a family and moms and dad were responsible for disciplining their children and the church come alongside of them and help them in doing that and uh so we're focusing in on the importance and significance of the nuclear family not to exclude those who don't have the the stand, the, the the biblical concept of what a perfect nuclear family ought, family ought to be But that doesn't negate the fact that that is God's standard, that is God's design, and we need to foster that in society and then use uh, the brokenness we see all around us to bring people back to this understanding of what the biblical family ought to be. And it's the dad who has the primary role of discipling his children, discipling his wife, and then the mom, the mother comes alongside of the dad and helps in this role of discipling the family, the children. And the first thing that has to happen is if you're going to disciple your children, then you have to have this on, on your heart. And so we've got to understand what that means to have this in your heart. If you want to be able to teach this, it's almost like the, the Bible tells us in another place that the, the word of God becomes that implanted word. So we'll unpack this idea of what the heart means here uh, as we as we move forward. But the first thing, these words that I command you, the Lord says today shall be, on your heart. So let's move on to the next slide. Developing the in the main thrust he brings out in this idea of in implanting in these things in our heart, in our innermost being, to give you a snapshot of what that's going to mean, uh, is is it begins to develop in us and shape in us this biblical worldview through which we view the world and through which we engage in the world and all the relationships that we have. Uh, in this, in this world. And so Deuteronomy chapter six, this idea of the heart, what does it mean to have this on your heart? And we need to understand when we think about the heart, just like we use this language with the concept of love, uh, you know, mind, will, and emotion, mind, will, and emotion uh love involves our mind our will and our emotion as so does this concept of the biblical idea of the heart you know and and again in our western culture we associate heart we we tie it to emotive aspects on, merely. not not everyone but most people when we think about this idea of the idea of the heart we're thinking in terms of emotion well Again, it encompasses that, but the heart is far greater than that as a matter of fact in 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 the uh, the Eastern or the Hebrew mindset when this was written it it, it was a little bit lower in the anatomy it was it was the gut the the, the, the intestines right uh, and so it, 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 the idea is the same though the figure of speech is it is the inner being it is the, it is the real you it is the inmost in the inmost part of who you are, it is what makes you you, right? Uh, and so I like to to use our, uh, at least something in our culture we can relate to. I know it falls apart at some point, all illustrations do, but I like to call it the CPU, our central processing unit, that part, that core of who we are that makes the decisions, that thinks, you know, that causes us to act out uh, physically in whatever capacity that may be. So I, the heart involves the 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 innermost being, for me the inner man in humanity the inner human that you are the inner woman that you are, and so our heart involves our mind our will and our emotions and and so all of those are incorporated in this idea of having this on your heart that's why, in the outset of this we had the title screen developing a biblical worldview because what. Whatever it is that shapes the inner person, the inner being, the real you, whatever that is that shapes that and it impacts the mind, the will and the motion, that becomes the worldview by which you engage in the world around you. And so what God is saying through Moses And saying to Moses and to the Israelites, to his covenant people, and by extension today, to we who are his covenant people, who he has told us in the New Testament, the greatest commandment is still the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We talked about what that looks like in the law of God and how many people try to use that to escape the law. But really what they're saying is, hey, let's do what the law calls us to do, to have no gods, no other gods before the one true and living God, to to make no graven images. To, to not take the Lord's name in vain and to honor that one and seven day of rest that the Lord ascribed to us as we come to worship Him one out of seven days. And for the New Testament believer, that is on Sunday, the day of the Lord, when Jesus rose from uh, the dead. And so, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and strength mind, that's what it looks like. It encompasses our total the totality of our being. We focus on him and him alone and then that'll begin to manifest itself in how we how we are able to love people, right? Uh which is the second part of the the great commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, And people, again, say, love God, love people. That's it, right? Let's get away from this law stuff. But what they're, in essence, saying in that slogan is, hey, let's do what the law says and love people the way God intended for us to love them. And this is the way it looks like. That's what Moses is telling the children of Israel. Because what is Deuteronomy? It's the second giving of the law. And what are these things that he's saying ought to be on their heart? It is the law of God, the things that God has commanded them. And it's summed up in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, down in Leviticus, the Lord, and even in Exodus, the Lord, and even some in Deuteronomy, the Lord expounds on all of these main categories that we find in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. But there are particular aspects of the law when we think about the law and this doesn't need to become a teaching on the law but you got to understand how we view the law today because i get it we're no longer under the law the law is our school teacher shows us that we're sinners points us that to the fact that we need a savior but paul reminds us uh uh very pointedly in in the book of romans that hey the law is good and it's not we're not abandoning what the law implies and implicates upon us as to how we ought to live. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, that it is those who walk by the spirit, those who have been redeemed by God through Christ Jesus. It is those in which the righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled. And then he goes on to list what that looks like by listing out several of the commandments that are on the second table of the law relating to how we love one another so in this aspect we are to submit everything that we are to the lord and we talked about that in to great extent last time what it means to follow Jesus Christ and hey if you uh we're in we're in the gospel of John on Sunday morning at Friendship Baptist Church and if you'll just go back a couple weeks you'll find a sermon uh where we dealt in chapter 1 where we dealt with this idea of what it meant to follow uh Jesus Christ in 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 a quite extensive biblical way so go back and look that up and you can find uh what the Bible says about what it means and what it costs to follow the Lord Jesus Christ but We are to submit everything we are to him. That's what it means to have these things in our heart. And again, the the New Testament doesn't negate this just because this is Deuteronomy. The New Testament doesn't negate this. We try to negate it, right? But in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission is what we know that as, right? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, heaven and in earth. And he says, go therefore, And make disciples. Only verb in there is the making disciples. The rest of these words are participles. So as you are going, make disciples. And how do you do that? Well, when you you make disciples, you do that through baptizing. What does baptizing entail? Not just the mere dunking in water. The greater implication of what he means by baptizing is to bring people into the family of faith. By sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And they come to faith in Christ through repentance, and faith in Christ, and then they are baptized as a uh, as a step of obedience, following Christ as He was baptized. And through that baptism, they de- they demand, they declare to the world that I have been buried with Christ. And I am raised anew. Uh, uh, in newness of life Uh, and it parallels with what paul says when we come to faith in christ we are new creatures the old is gone and the new has come and so we bring them into the family of faith making disciples is bringing people in the family of faith and they identify with us in their baptism as they unite with the body of local believers through baptism and then it is to teach them the lord says Teach them to observe all things I have commanded you. Now, don't let your mind think that that just means the red letters in the New Testament. Because if Jesus has always existed, Jesus is God. He is the Logos, as John says, and it's through him that we have everything that we have. And Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus spoke all of the words of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, because it is God who inspired these writers to write. And so we are to teach people to do, to observe all the things that the Lord has commanded us. And part of that is to have what he's commanded us engraven on our innermost being. And that ought to change the way we live and act in this world. We don't get saved by the things we do, but when we get saved, the things we do ought to reflect that we have been redeemed by the Lord. We all love, you know, as evangelicals, uh ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it's the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast and we say amen right to that passage but we never go on to verse 10 verse 10 says that we were created by god for good works right to do them the things that he has set set out for us to do beforehand So he created us to do good works. So good works, and how do we determine what good works are? Well, God's given us a standard. It's called the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. How how are we to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how are we to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, he showed us that in the Ten Commandments. And those things ought to impact the way we live our life every single day. And so whenever these things become implanted in our heart, implanted in our inner being, then that begins to shape our worldview. And our worldview is the lens through which we view the world. It's the lens through which we make decisions on everything that we see in, in the world that's going on around us. Um, and so here's your three main points. Our glasses, our lenses, our assumptions are our big picture. A lot of different people describe it in different ways. But it is how we view the world. It it, it, it impacts how we relate to other people. It impacts how we relate to God. It impacts how we make decisions and live in our life. And it is our responsibility. It, let me say it this way. Salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Salvation is monergistic, Right. I can't do anything to save myself. Jesus has already done everything that is required to bring me into a right relationship with God. As I trust in him because of who he is and what he's done, he is He has suffered in my law place. He All the guilt that I should bear for my sin, for my rebellion against God, Jesus bore on the cross of Calvary. Uh, All the wrath that I should experience from God, Jesus experienced on the cross of Calvary. In Isaiah 53, it pleased the father in verse 10 to crush him, pleased Yahweh to crush him under the weight of his wrath, which I should have been crushed under and you should have been crushed under. So I'm saved because of what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. There's no work involved in my salvation. It's all of God and none of me. But, sanctification while it is monergistic in a sense it is god doing sanctifying work in our life through the person of the holy spirit sanctification sanctification is also synergistic that's why paul writes the way he does when he tells us um, you, when he uses the, these three tenses of verbs, we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Well, in the process of being saved is that sanctifying work that takes place on us. Paul also in Romans chapter 8 reminded us that in God's eyes, we are already glorified. Well, we we live in here and now, and we know we're not completely glorified because we still have this old fleshly body that we drag around with us. Uh, which is prone to sinfulness, and we know that we're not perfect in the flesh yet, but there's coming a day when we will be glorified as Jesus comes again, and we get a brand new body, and our brand new body will will match the brand new you know nature that we have from from Christ and regeneration that's taking place in us, but in the meantime Paul tells us. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Those are things he's calling us to do. So in essence, uh, to use Henry Blackaby's language, to join God in what he's doing in our lives, right? And to be proactive and be intentional in this sanctifying work by feasting on God's word and planting the word in our heart, by by avoiding those places that put us in uh, places of temptation and to, to walk after the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we join God in this work of sanctification In that, and sh- as we join God and as we internalize his word and walk in light of the spirit and in light of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, then we begin to shape our worldview to match a biblical worldview. Here's what Francis Schaeffer says. He defines worldview, the grid through which one sees the world. We've already talked about that. Uh, dealing with our assumptions, James Sire said this, I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. Our most basic assumptions which compose our worldview, most people's worldview is not based on critical analysis, but on assumption. Uh, we simply see the, way, see the way things are and fall in line. And that that's true to some extent, right? We can be duped into a lot of things. All you got to do is just look back at this COVID uh, stuff we went through and in, in the mask and the, and the you know, vaccines and all those kinds of things. And you can see how people can uh, just be coaxed to follow right along. All right, I'm going to skip some of this stuff. Our, I'll leave it over if you can read it while I'm chatting. Basically our worldview view ultimately answers questions about who who God is, right? why why am I here? Who am I? Uh you know what what's wrong with the world and what do we need to do to fix uh the world? And those kinds of questions, those kinds kinds of big picture questions and the way we think about those kinds of questions will impact how we interact in this world and how we how we respond to the things that are going on in our in our culture, because if we believe that there is no God, that we're all just, uh, uh, you know, a clump of sails that got here by accident, then, you know, what is the ultimate purpose in life? It, what value shall I place on a, on a person's life? Well, the only value I place on their life is the value I deem to that is necessary to place on their life because... I, in my worldview, if I believe there is no God, then I'm the ultimate authority of what value, what life value is, and that leads to people coming to a conclusion that hey, uh, those that that baby in that womb is just a clump of cells, right? And it's nothing there's there's nothing wrong in saying hey, you can you can kill that clump of cells or you can get rid of that clump of cells all the way up to uh the time of birth if you want to because it has no intrinsic value because it's not created by anything of value, it just happens to be, right? And that the same thing goes to the the other end of the spectrum, whenever we get to the elderly and youth, euthanism, uh, um, and when, uh you know, Obama says, hey, sometimes we just have to give you a pill and just let you go on about your last few days, right? Or what you have going on uh, in Canada or in the old, uh, I gotta say the old days. And, and, and I forget when Dr. Kevorkian was around, but when it's the idea of, hey, let's put you out of your misery right uh you're no longer valuable to society and uh you may be better off if you just go ahead and and end your life and that fits in with um um oh man was it bill Gates and in with Bill Gates and their ideology about how there's too many people in this world we got to get rid of a few people in this world how do you get rid of a few people in the world or there's various ways you can get rid of a lot of people by impacting their food and impacting you know how you administer medications and drugs and he's involved in all of those things the guy who came up with uh, Microsoft, right? Uh, so all of those things impact these people's world view, and they do the things they do because of the world view that they have. Whereas those of us who have a biblical world view, we understand that there is a supreme creator, and that right and wrong is not relative. As those who would have, uh, who would say that there is no God, what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong, uh, and I won't tell you what you're doing is wrong. But that that doesn't always work right because we get all up in arms about things we think are wrong um and tell people that we think that they are wrong even if you don't have a biblical worldview and then you expect people not to tell you what you are doing is wrong well we're from a biblical worldview we have a supreme authority who is god god is by definition uh the standard for right and wrong the standard for good i put it that way he's the standard for good and righteousness and holiness and because we know what is good and righteous and holy, we know the, con, the, we know the, the opposite of that, what is evil and wicked uh, in this world. And so uh, we have an absolute standard of right and wrong that does not waver depending on the time, uh, the generation you live in or the, the boundaries in which you live as far as a nation, what nation, what state, uh, you know, what, what, what country you live in. It doesn't matter. What's right is right. And what's wrong is wrong because God is the absolute standard. And we understand that every human being is a creation of God. Uh, And God, from the before he formed us in the womb, the Bible says he knew us uh, and he formed our inmost part. So every human being from the moment of conception has intrinsic value because that human being is a creation of God. And we ought to value that life just like we value, we ought to value every life. And so we ought to do everything we can to protect that life, even in the womb Uh, and to murder, to to end that life is, in fact, murder. I get it. A lot of people who've gone through uh, abortion, who've had abortions um, and, you know, God can forgive you for that. But, you know, just because you made that decision and you didn't know or wasn't aware or whatever it was, it doesn't change the fact that the actual act is the ending of a human life. And so, you know, our biblical worldview shapes how we view these kinds of things. And, you know, we we don't, you know, we're afraid to be political as Christians, I guess. Um, But what you and I have to understand that these things, every, every political decision is a moral decision. And if you listen to me long enough, you've heard me say this before. Who better in the world to speak to moral issues than those who have a biblical worldview and understand that there's a sovereign creator of this universe who is the standard for morality. And we determine what justice is from who God is. And we see that that justice of God, godly justice, is it transcends culture, it transcends language, it transcends ethnicity. It's the same standard for every single person. So we we ought to, when we go to the polling places, we ought to vote. I know, I don't know the heart of it any politician that I vote for because I don't know any of them personally. All I know is what they say and what I see about them and what I can read about them. So I take what knowledge I have and those who line up with what I believe is the closest to a biblical worldview, those are the ones that I uh, I circle the dot for and feed into the machine and I ought to vote that way if I'm going to be a Christian. How can I vote for somebody whose worldview is completely opposite from the worldview that God's called me to live and function and exist? I can't do that. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you can do that, then there's something inherently spiritually out of sync in your life. And you need to ask God to help you correct that in your life. And I know that'll make a lot of people mad, but you just cannot... You cannot say that I'm a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ, and I believe in a biblical worldview, and I believe the tenets of Scripture, and follow people and put people in office who do not believe those things. Now, I get it; not everybody believes, not every one of them we put in office believe everything that we believe. But in our in our culture, it is always the lesser of two evils. I don't care if you have the most solid person that a christian you can think of that you put up there guess what we still live in a fallen world we still have this flesh on us in every person uh, until christ comes again and he and our glorification is complete until he comes again and that happens all of us are subject to fail so it's always you're always going to have that potential but you've got to do the best you can with what is set before you to make those kinds of decisions. And you've got to filter it through a biblical worldview. And it, the, our relationship with God ought to impact the how we live our life. And that's something that we've got to instill in our children. That's something we got, we've got to instill in our grandchildren. That's something that if you're part of a church, the, the, the older generation needs to instill in the younger generation. Uh, is something that we need to pass on. It is our responsibility and it starts in our home. If you are a parent with children or in our day, if you're a grandparent raising your children's children, Then you need to be proactive in building a biblical worldview in the mind of your children. Because if you send your children to public school, the the public school, the world of of uh, public school, the world of education in in this in this in this universe, in this world, is out to turn your children away from a biblical worldview. So it is your responsibility to take charge of their education and instill within them a biblical worldview. Listen to this quote. If we do not give our children a biblical worldview, they will simply follow our rules while they are under our watchful eye. But as soon as they gain independence, they will begin to make decisions based based upon their worldview. And i'm here to tell you if you send your kid to public school their worldview has been shaped by those in public school i get it got a, got some great teachers around our area that are doing the best they can in the system that they're working in and i know it's a struggle for them right i know for them every day they battle within themselves uh based on the cultural impact that that and the the leftist impact uh that's on education right now but the bent of education in America, in particular, is against God, is against Christianity. And it's toward secular humanism, it's toward socialism, it's toward communism. And that's where they're pushing your children if they go to public school. So it is your responsibility to take charge of them, uh, of their education, and to build this biblical worldview. But don't miss what Dr. Bacham is saying in this quote. We, we got to help our children understand why it is that we ask them to do the things that they do, why it is that we have the rules that we have in place, right? And I, I think it goes all the way back to Dr. James Dobson. My wife and I, we, we, we used to listen to and read a lot of Dr. James Dobson whenever uh, we, were, we were parenting. And Dr. James Dobson made this quote many years ago, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So we've got got to develop a relationship with our children and not just have a bunch of rigid rules and do's and don'ts. We need to have those and they need to respect those, right? And sometimes it is, you're doing this because I said so, right? But at some point, we need to set them down and explain to them why it is that we ask them to do the things we do take them to the 10 commandments this is what god says about honoring your father and your mother and honoring those and that and again i don't have time to teach the commandments again but you can go to my podcast you can go to uh friendship uh friendship Taliesi. Uh just google friendship baptist church tallacy and go to our website and you can find our youtube uh, page and hopefully there's a sermon on there if not it's on my podcast i'm pretty sure that deals with this idea of of the 10 commandments we went through a whole series preaching on the 10 commandments and their relevance to us today and the 10 commandment the, the commandment about honoring your father and mother is it, it goes far beyond just that relationship it goes into the relationship of honoring all of those who are in authority over us and if we will teach our kids this is why you do this god has god has has laid out for us this reasoning behind why it is that we ought to honor our parents and honor those who are in authority above me. And you go to Romans chapter 13 and places like that, where we honor those that God has placed in authority in government. When I might not like everything they say, and we might do the best we can to get them out of office in our culture in in America. Anyway, we have the right to, to, to express our opinion and redress the government and vote to get people out and put other people in. And we, we function in that way but we do that with respect we do that we do that with with honor and we ought to teach our kids why we ought to do that. we ought to teach them why it is that we you know don't punch your sister in the face or or why you don't take toys that belong to other people and you you talk about the value that's inherent in in working hard right all of those things are in the Decalogue in the Ten Commandments and so we explain to our children why it is that we have these rules from a biblical perspective and why it is we ought to live these ways as God has laid it out for us and that begins to shape in their little minds a biblical world view so that they will understand not only the things they ought to do uh, in relation to right and wrong but why it is they do the things they do in relation to right and wrong because of uh, God's word and God's standard. And that's our responsibility, and so uh, we we need to teach our kids that. Uh, but in your hearts, Paul, Peter says, First Peter three fifteen, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Man, you could stop right there and preach a whole sermon on that one sentence, right? That that's our life as Christians in our inner being. Everything about us is to honor Christ as holy. And if we're going to honor Him as holy, do you think we can go into the world and live like a like a hellion in the world and say that we honor Christ as holy? No. There, you, you, anybody that's listened to me any length of time, you get tired of hearing this. But there is no biblical concept that a person can come to faith in Christ, bow their knee to Jesus Christ, and claim Him as Savior and by extension as Lord. I know people don't like to hear that term, but he is Lord and Savior. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he's Lord and Savior. There's no biblical concept that says you can come to faith in Christ, get your ticket punched to heaven, and go live as though Jesus is not Lord and he's not holy. That is absurd, and it's unbiblical, it's heretical, and we need to stop saying that. When we come to faith in Christ, it ought to change who we are because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, get it. We're not perfect, right? I live in Romans chapter 7 with Paul. The things I want to do seem to be the things I can't do, and the things I don't want to do seem to be the things I, I always do. And who is it that can save me? Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death, right? Well, it's the Lord who can save me from that. It's the Lord who's working sanctification in me. And the bent of my heart ought to be to live and honor Christ as Lord in my heart and holy. And so, we need to we need to model that and we need to share that with our our children. Well, I'm going to skip over a lot of these um, statistics. You can see them there. The 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 implication is that hey, there are a lot of people in this world, <coughs> excuse me, even those who claim to be Christian, even those who claim to be pastors, leaders, elders, bishops, whatever you want to call, it, whatever term you want to use, who don't have a biblical worldview. And it is it's evident in the way that the western church is going. Uh, today, and so, you know, two prevalent worldviews. we talked about those secular humanism. That's the dominant worldview uh, in our culture right now. And then Christian theism. I know people may want to put others in there in a religious sense, <coughs> but I believe Christian theism is the only uh, uh, world view that ought to be followed after. And secular humanism is taking the world by <coughs> by storm. Just a, a uh, just a, a snapshot of. These main questions, main topics when it deals with the worldview and the difference between the secular humanism on the left and the Christian theism on the right, how secular humans view God, most of them atheism, or uh, at least ag- agnostic. Christianity, theism, right? We believe there is a God. And that there's one true and living God and he's made himself known in Jesus. Then the worldview of man, evolution. We're here by chance, by accident, right? The survival of the fittest. Uh, although the way that uh, these uh, people who, Claim to have this uh, worldview always bar from Christianity to fill in the gaps that they have in their worldview. We believe we're specific, special creation by God, and in and, 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 and everyone inherently has value because they're created by God. What about truth? Uh, secular humanism is relative, right? Uh, depending on culture, generation, time in history, all those kinds of things, even down to individual, it is relative to whomever, right? And so what's good for you is good for you. Might not be good for me. Uh, you know, case or we believe biblical worldview is absolute. It is transcendent. It, it doesn't matter what time you live in history. It doesn't matter what place you live in history. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Uh, it doesn't matter the language that you speak. <clears throat> the nation you live in, God is the absolute standard. And so we can have a standard that transcends uh, every aspect of humanity. What about knowledge? Science, materialism, and naturalism, secular. Hey, that's what your kids are learning in school. And hey, if you think, k through 12 is is tough if you send your kids to college nowadays you are sending them into the lion's den you are sending them to a place who wants to absolutely abolish their faith in god that's where you're sending your kids to if you send them to college it's no longer about education it's about indoctrination to leftist ideology. And you, if you're going to send your kids to college, you better find a school. You better find a place that, to the best you can, is follows after a biblical worldview. And they're, they're becoming few and far uh, between, even among those who claim to be Christian colleges. You need to research that out. And hey, college is not for everybody, right? And, and there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people in this world who who uh, founded this country. There's a lot of people who founded this country, right? That uh, didn't necessarily go to college. They were they were home taught, uh, right? Some of the greatest leaders of our our nation. Uh, we believe, hey, we Christians. A lot of people think there's science and Christianity is at odds, but that's can can't be further from the truth. It is because of Christianity that science has been able to advance the way it has advanced. Uh, because of our, because of how we understand God created things, and the knowledge that God has given us, and God's the burning desire uh, that God has given us to learn things and not prohibit uh, certain things. Um, but anyway, uh, science has advanced under Christianity, uh, and and we believe ultimately in that science plays a part in our understanding um, as. In, but scientists, obviously, a lot most scientists, not all scientists, but a lot of scientists today don't have a biblical worldview and they try to separate science from the Bible and try to use science to denigrate uh, God's word. But if if you think there's an era in what the world, the modern concept of science today in this world and the Bible, then the era is with science and not the Bible. And so we also believe in general revelation in the sense that God has made himself known to us in the creation around us. And that's why we explore the creation and why we enjoy exploring the creation. It's why we have value for the creation because it is God's revelation of himself to us through his work in creation. And then there's, or that's natural revelation rather in general revelation or specific revelation is God speaking to us in his word. The revealed word we have, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the the Tanakh uh, for the Hebrew um uh, and, and jewish uh, folks uh, but for us the old testament the new testament god's total word and revelation ultimately the ultimate revelation of god to us in christ jesus whom we learn about from his word his specific general revel- or, uh, revelation to us and then uh ethics well ethics are based again it's relative it's cultural wherever you whatever culture your culture says whatever the majority of people in your culture cultural. cultural culture thinks is ethical then that's what you go with whereas in a biblical worldview christian worldview uh god is the standard of ethics so it's what god says that is the standard and it again is binding on all generations all nations everywhere all the time and that's what we need to instill in our children all right we're going to move past some of some of these We'll stop here because we need to hear this. What what do you believe about God? Uh, the God of the Bible is personal. The God of the Bible is sovereign. The God of the Bible is holy. The God of the Bible is the creator of this world. And that's one. That's the that's elementary principles of a biblical worldview, right? Um, what do we believe about man? Because secular humanism thinks man is the random evolutionary. Choice that took place, right? Survival of the fittest. Uh, Obviously, we believe that man is the creation of God. We believe that man failed in Adam. Even though we bear the image of God, we still fail in the beginning. Uh, But it doesn't erase the image of God that is inherent in us and that Christ came to redeem us. Now, when you think about secular humanism, for man, you know it goes back to that question I mentioned earlier. That one of the questions you ask in the worldview is, you know, what's the, what's wrong with the world? Well, for secular humanists, what's wrong with the world is is the culture is what's outside of me, right? It's it's all the all the people around me that do wrong things. You know, my parents that didn't do right, or my education didn't do right, or I, I wasn't educated enough. All right, or or something you know, m- you know, chemically wrong with men. I get it. There's some valid chemical imbalances and all the, all those kinds of things that we have to deal with. But uh, for secular humanism, the problem is not is never us. It's always someone outside of us. So if we change what's outside of us, the 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 culture around us. If we can legislate enough, medicate enough, educate enough, the culture around us, then that'll change us it's always outside well when biblical christianity what's wrong with the world well what's wrong with the world is you and what's wrong with the world is me because we're sinners right and we are the problem with the world and the problem is in us and it takes god to rectify that problem in us and he's done so in jesus christ if we will but repent and uh believe so we've talked about these other things about truth and those kinds of things and i think you get the gist of Uh, the differences and distinctions between the, the biblical worldview and the secular worldview. And the point of what we're trying to get across is here. It's our responsibility as moms and dads, as grandmoms and granddads, as aunts, as uncles, as people in the family of faith, the older women, the younger uh, teaching the younger women, the older men, teaching the younger men. is our responsibility in particular as parents in the family to instill within our children a biblical worldview. And we do that through intentional discipleship. It's got to come to the place in your family where there's a regular time that you sit down together with your family, whether it be around the dinner table or whether it be another designated time that you intentionally sit down and read God's word, preferably on a daily basis uh, or at least whatever interval you can get in there. We've lost that in, in our Christian culture. We've lost that. Everything else in the world has has bombarded us and taken, taken that time away from us because we gotta have our kids, right? We gotta have our kids in travel ball. We gotta have our kids in all these extracurricular activities. There's nothing wrong with extracurricular activities. You know, football, baseball, dance, and, you know, gymnastics, soccer. Don't, don't, don't put your kid in soccer. That, that's a communistic ploy to take over the world. Anyway, another topic for another day. Hey, uh, but all those things have come in and taken up our time, right? And we no longer take the time, apart from Sunday or Wednesday, maybe, to sit down with our kids. We need to do that on a regular basis. We need to begin to instill, make sure that in our own inner being there there's a biblical worldview, and that we indoctr... I don't. I'm kind scared of the term indoctrination. We indoctrinate our children with a biblical worldview because if you don't indoctrinate them, somebody else is. I guarantee you that. So we need to. Take the reins. Dad, you need to take the reins. If a dad's not in the picture, mom, you pull up the reins and you do the best you can. And may God send some godly Christian men in your church or in your family to come and help you uh, in in that process. So that's my spiel for today. That That's what we're driving for in at Friendship Baptist Church. And may the Lord help us to get to that place. I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like as we try to work our way through this. Right. And a lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people don't like it because well, mostly what we want today is entertainment and, uh, you know, a sermonette that makes us, you know, feel good about ourselves or feel good about our situation and that never challenges us, that never grounds us in in Scripture. And until that changes in, in the church, we're going to continue to see uh, a lot of churches go the way that they're going in our Western culture. So anyway, if you're looking for something different where expository preaching is the heart and soul of what we do in the pulpit and worshiping Christ is the heart of what we do in our worship service, and discipling families to disciple families is the heart of what we're about, then come join us. We'd love love to have you take part in what God's going to do at Friendship Baptist Church. Well, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And don't forget, come join us uh, this Sunday. November 5th through the 8th, starting at 7 p.m. You can come join us Sunday morning. Uh, we'll be preaching from John, chapter 2, beginning John, chapter 2, Sunday morning uh, at uh, 10.30, 9.30, Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. And then Sunday night at 7 o'clock, we'll begin our revival uh, services, which will go through Wednesday, uh, all all nights beginning at 7. And so put that on your calendar. Bring a friend with you. Uh, bring someone who's lost Sunday evening. If you know someone who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, bring them, because I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ Sunday evening. And so uh, be praying for those who are there, are going to be there, that the Lord would open their hearts if they're lost so that they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. So again, until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you.